0: Hey, good morning, Crossway. I hope you are doing well. I just wanted to welcome all of you and all of our friends who are joining us today. We're so happy you are here. And uh, we wish we could give you a real handshake, but we will do it virtually a fist bump. And um, I just wanted to thank all of our worship team, Chris, Eric, John, and Brian, and April, and uh, Sung, and Christian, and Pastor Paul in the back for making this all happen. So if you're wondering who's playing what, it's our Irvine team, and so I just wanna thank them so much for uh, leading us in worship, and they'll be leading us later in our closing song. And also just wanna give a shout out, a congratulations to Yvette and Daniel on the birth of their baby boy last night. So I'm assuming they're not tuned in, they're probably wiped out, but congratulations if you watch this later. Also to Joanne and Tao on their second, on Ian, congratulations last week, I know you had him. So. Um, We are just grateful for all of our uh, families and all the babies that are uh, being born and look forward to seeing them. And we hope you have uh, uh, get some sleep and have enough diapers and all the things that you need during these times. But we're just excited. You know, today we uh, this week and next week, we're going to be looking at the power of the words that we speak and how important it is. And uh, this week we're gonna be focusing on the positive ways that I could speak according to the book of Proverbs. Ways that I could speak and make a difference uh, with others. And next week we'll be looking at some of the negative habits we wanna get rid of. And so we look at the positive things. And you know, speech and the words we use have a big impact. If you think about this, uh, even in something small and trivial like a chicken sandwich, right? it's the words behind it that makes such an impact. I mean, if you're like me, and even during this uh, eight-week break that we've been on, you've been going to Chick-fil-A, and there's something positive about it, right? They change the words, it's a chicken is chicken, but they change the words when you go in, and what's the most famous thing that they're known for when you say, hey, thank you, what do they say? My pleasure, right? They always say, my pleasure. And you say, that's kind of odd. No one speaks that way, but it makes me feel good to hear that. Not only do they say, my pleasure, they come by your table and they don't ask if you want a refill. They use this particular language. They say, may I refresh your beverage? And that just sounds better than a refill. Yes, you may refresh my Diet Coke and it'll make it taste better. And instead of calling it a combo or an item, they call all of their food an entree. Would you like an entree? And entree sounds a lot better than just combo number one, right? And, uh, and then they'll come by and take up, uh, pick up your trash. They don't just say, can I take your trash? They say, um, can I clear your tray? They assume what you have is not trash. It's just your tray. And so all the little things that we hear uh, make a difference. It's a pleasant experience. So if you're like me, I'd rather go to Chick-fil-A than to some other place where they ignore you, give you a number, and say, go wait. And here's your food. Get out of the way. And so words make a difference, even in something small like a chicken sandwich. Can you imagine the impact of words that it has on our lives, on our souls, on the people around us? Words make such a big difference. Today, uh, we look at the Word of God here in Proverbs, and we see uh, the idea of how powerful words are. How big of an impact words make. And the second part we're going to look at. What are the four habits, what are the four positive habits um, that I could now develop uh, to use, especially we're at home with our loved ones 24-7, this is a great time to start Um, and to now give life, life life-giving words to others, four habits, and so we'll be looking at that the second part, but the first part we look at is these words that are so powerful, Um, how Proverbs tells us it's life-giving, you know, it is... uh, in Gary Chapman's book, Love as a Way of Life, he says that, uh, he uses this analogy of spoken words. He says all of our words that we speak can either be bullets, and it could harm and it could destroy someone. It could penetrate them deep and damage them. Or the positive words we use, can he also says they're like seeds. They're seeds that are planted, and so a child that hears a positive word or an an encouragement will take the seed and the seed will flourish and they will grow up and they will do great things and they will remember, oh man, my third grade teacher did this. I remember when my mom told me I should do this. And all of us, we remember someone, elementary school, junior high school. You remember the person that now planted the seeds and the seeds have now bear fruit in life now and now we say oh boy i remember i attribute some of the credit to that person that counselor that teacher that friend said i should do this we also have the scars of the bullets that were thrown at us by words the words that are like bullets and we remember the harsh things someone said and those pains are still with us as grown-ups and so obviously words have this kind of power the bible in the text that we read uh, in verse 20, he says, "The tongue of the righteous is choice silver." It's a description of the value of God's word. It's like choice silver, not just regular silver. Now, regular silver is pretty good, but the righteous person's words, their tongue is like choice silver. It, there's no impurities. It's pure. It's a value. It's rare. And that's how the words of the righteous person is described. The mouth or the tongue of the righteous person is described as choice silver in this way. Right? In in a lot of the Proverbs, what we see is a positive, and then it's contrasted with the negative. And even the negative helps us to interpret the first part of it. So this is a good example. In verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. It's something positive. The heart of the wicked is of little worth So even the second part, what is contrasted to, gives us an idea. He's talking about what value there is, how rare it is, how special it is to have someone that will speak in a righteous manner to us. This is the power of the tongue. You know, all of us talk. All of us say things we regret. All of us wish we could hit the rewind button if you have asked someone something but we can't. Once it leaves, it's gone. It's out there forever. And so we have to be also very careful. This is, it's interesting because verse 19 right before uh, is kind of contrasted the general idea. This is now choice silver. It's rare. But in verse 19, it talks about when words are many transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So when there's a lot of talking. When someone is not restraining their lips and they keep talking and talking, eventually they'll fall into the trap of saying, whoops, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? As Dallas Willard was asked, the late Dallas Willard was asked once by a uh, a student and in his lectures he would be asked questions and sometimes debated by some of his students uh, as he taught philosophy at USC. And uh, many times, Dallas Willard would let the student have the last word, and then he would end class. And so someone thought that was kind of very highly unusual. They said, usually the professor gets the last word. And they say, how come you let the student have the last word? And this is what Dallas Willard said. He said, I'm practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. I'm practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. If you are like me and all, you know, we, we often, when the other person is talking, we're just thinking about what am I going to say next? So we're not even really listening to what they're saying. We're just saying, well, what am I going to say next? How can I now go and top that? How can I impress them? To have the discipline, to not have to have the last word. And all of a sudden, the words that we now choose, the words we say, the words we think about, we use, it could be like silver, choice silver. Again, in verse 21, it says, the lips of the righteous feed many. This is the, uh, an idea of the shepherd with a lot of sheep, taking the sheep to go and feed so the lips, now we, we talk about the tongue, now we talk about the lips, the anatomy of the mouth, the lips of the righteous feed. Many, many people are blessed by the righteous person. It's the lips of the righteous that is uh, feeding so many, and so many people that listen can benefit. It's like they're getting food, but it's food for the soul, food for the years. And he says, you have that kind of power. It is that important. You know, also in Proverbs 10, Eleven, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. It tells us so. There is so much in the book of Proverbs, telling us the positive ways we can impact people with our words, the power of words to give life, to feed many like choice silver. Um, There's so much there. You know, when you a great illustration of this, the power of the mouth, the tongue is uh, given in the book of James, right? James chapter three. Uh, gives us several illustrations about the power of the tongue. And one of the illustrations, he says in chapter 3, verse 4, he says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So he is comparing comparing the rudder of a ship to the tongue of a person. And how that rudder now takes a huge ship. Even if the winds are blowing the opposite way, it takes it the way that it wants it to go. You know, one of the largest ships in the world, I read, is a ship called the U.S. aircraft carrier called the USS Eisenhower. The USS Eisenhower, and I'm going to throw out these numbers, and it's hard to fathom, right? It weighs over 91,000 tons. Um, It's nearly 1,100 feet in length. Uh, It's powered by 280,000 horsepower, a nuclear-powered horsepower engine. Um, It has, when they are on, everyone is on board, it has about 6,100 men and women on board, uh, 100 aircrafts, and a little rudder. And the little rudder dictates where this, and one person said, it is like a city in the ocean, 6,000 people, 100 aircraft. It is so big, you cannot barely feel it moving. And yet a little rudder dictates which way it will go. And that's the power of the tongue. It will dictate your life. It has this kind of power. There's a book written called uh, Words Can Change Your Brain. Words words can change your brain by two medical doctors, uh, Newberg and Waldman. And what they say is that hearing certain kind of words literally can change your brain. And so in their book they say, and I quote, a single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. So hearing, for one example they give, hearing positive words like peace, love. someone saying, I love you. Uh, This is peaceful. All of a sudden, it changes and it strengthens what they say. And this is very technical. I'm going to summarize, right? Strengthens the area of the frontal lobe that promotes the brain's cognitive functioning. Some of you aren't fully awake. Your front lobe's maybe not fully awake, right? At this time, as you're getting coffee, you don't know what day it is as we've been going through all of this. But it changes the frontal lobe where we could learn. And also, it propels the motivational center of the brain into action. So the motivation goes up. The a capacity to learn goes up. Whereas a single negative word could increase the activity in the fear center of our brain, they say. So angry words could send alarm messages through the brain and partially shut down the logic and reasoning centers located in the fr- frontal lobes. It literally changes our brains. And if so, someone is yelling at you and someone is putting you down, the brain tries to protect itself and some of it will start to shut off and so words are this powerful and doesn't matter how old you are doesn't matter where you are within uh, your family rank if you are the oldest or the youngest if you're still you know a college student or you're you just got married uh you live with your parents it doesn't matter who you are your words could make a difference And this is what the writer of Proverbs says. This is what a righteous person does. They use their words to make a difference. And I want to share these four uh, habits of the righteous person. that You ought to be speaking in this way. You ought to be praying every morning, God, help me to speak in this way and give life to other people. Help me to plant seeds in other people when I speak. Number one, the righteous speak wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 10.31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom brings forth wisdom. There's wisdom coming out. The righteous person speaks wisdom. Wisdom is truth in action. Wisdom is the right thing and how to live it. And so the righteous person brings forth this kind of wisdom. Obviously, this means I have to go and get wisdom. I have to learn wisdom. I have to take it in in order for me to speak wisdom. But we have to be in uh, the right place to be able to speak in this way. This means that we tell someone, boy, that's right, not right, or this is wrong. This means a friend going to another friend and not just going along with anything they wanna do, but maybe having a heart-to-heart, say, hey man, you know, I-, I know you've been living this way, I know you've been doing these things and I think you ought to do these things. These are the hard discussions. These are the talks people usually don't wanna have. It takes a lot of emotional energy. But this is wisdom. And we want to now practice wisdom in a wise way. To go and say something that matters, to say what is right, to say what is wrong, and to speak wisdom so that the other person could now learn to walk in a way that is wise. Right? So they speak wisdom. The second uh, habit of speaking that the righteous have is they speak up. What I mean is they speak up for others. You know, In Proverbs 31, eight and nine, it says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. As the king has given these instructions, uh, these instructions from his mother, hey, to be this kind of righteous king, if you have power, use it and speak up for others. It tells us, open your mouth for the mute, most of us, a lot of us in our side society we speak up for myself i speak up for myself if someone cuts in front of me in line i speak up hey you're cutting in line they cut someone else off eh, what am i going to do but to speak up for someone who cannot speak up for this is righteousness this is the definition of righteousness for me right to be disadvantaged for the advantage of the community for me to Uh, To do this voluntarily. This is what righteousness is talking about here. To open your mouth. And it's talking about the person that's getting this word. To open your mouth for the mute. The person who cannot speak. Literally cannot speak. Cannot speak up for themselves. They don't have a voice. The rights of all who are destitute. There's an assumption here. That even the destitute have rights. This is what makes Christianity such an attractive message. Even the destitutes, even those who cannot speak up, they have rights. We ought to fight for them. We ought to speak up for them. Uh, and so how important is this? You know, I don't know what uh, you've been watching lately. Uh, one, of the, you know, one of the things when we get together here on Sunday morning with our worship team and some of our pastors, we've you been watching lately and we um, share our thoughts. One of the things, one of the shows i watched, um, been watching lately is, is on Netflix called the Innocence Files. The Innocence Files, and the Innocence Files is a documentary about people who are falsely imprisoned, and then they um, they get their convictions overturned by a group called the Innocence Project. I'm sure a lot of you've heard of that group. That group is a New York-based nonprofit group founded by two lawyers, uh, Barry Scheck and Peter Newfeld, in 1992, and they started reviewing uh, accepting cases when people would right into them. And they would review the case, and if they found out this person got a bad deal, they would go and take it back to court to appeal uh, whatever had happened. One of the stories that were highlighted in this documentary was a man named Kennedy Brewer. In 1992, he was arrested for the killing of his girlfriend's three-year-old daughter. And uh, he gets convicted, and they come up with there isn't much evidence, but they come up with this girl had a bite mark, and they said, boy, his dentures or his teeth uh, fit the bite mark, and so they just convicted him. And he was put on death row, and uh, he spent seven years on death row, another eight years awaiting trial. And because of the work of the Innocence Project, Innocence Project, he was uh, exonerated in 2008, so he spent all those years in jail. And he was the first person in all of Mississippi to, find the, uh, to, find, to be exonerated through the post-conviction DNA testing that had happened. And so there's a scene at the end that I love, and it was an emotional scene. It's uh, the footage of this man who has served almost two decades in jail for a crime he did not commit. His elderly mother is sitting in a wheelchair and uh, she is praying on the side and the courtroom is packed and the judge then pronounces, now you are free to go. And there's a scene where he is hugging the lawyers, the two lawyers that uh, defended him. And they're hugging, and it's like they cannot hug themselves enough. There was so much joy by uh, the person who was let go by, um, and for his lawyers. And the mom is in the chair, and she's standing up praising Jesus, you know. And uh, uh, there's this scene, and they're just arm in arm. And they're walking out and the smile is so big and they're sharing about what they had experienced and where they're going to go weed and what they're going to do. And later on, they have a reunion years later. And the lawyer, one of the lawyers goes back home, to their house to visit them during a barbecue and they welcome him. And this is the picture what we have. And you might say, well, I'm not a, a lawyer. I'm not in this kind of work. But the Bible tells us all of us have this kind of power. All of us have the power to speak up. For those who are mute, to open our mouths on behalf of someone who is mute, who cannot speak up for themselves, to fight for the rights of the destitute. And we could speak up for what is right. And so this is one of the ways that the righteous person, according to the book Book of Proverbs, lives out their lives. They speak up for others. And thirdly, the third habit of the righteous is they speak with gentleness. So it's not just the truth that matters. The content of what they say, the words matter, but also the tone of it matters. Isn't that true? You can argue with someone, you could disagree with someone, but if you could keep your tone to a civil uh, level, if you could smile and you could have a discussion, you could learn from each other. The moment one person yells or cuts off or interrupts, all of a sudden emotions just spike up. The tone matters here. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So the gentle tongue, the tongue is described as either in a good way, a gentle one, or in a negative way, perverseness. And the gentle tongue is described as a tree of life. There is life in a living tree. Come in the spring, you know, new leaves and flowers bloom from it. Uh, birds come and nest in it. People could sit under it. There is life there. A gentle tongue. Um, and it's interesting because what happens is if someone is not gentle, it says it can break the spirit. You could almost visibly see when someone's spirit is broken when they receive a tongue lashing from someone. And someone is telling them how stupid they are, how dumb are they. And you could tell sometimes. And I've been in situations where I could see literally their spirit just break. They lose confidence in themselves. They lose confidence in who they are. And they're broken on the inside. In the same chapter in Proverbs 15:1, it says a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. Again, we see uh, uh, what the opposites do. It's either soft or harsh. The soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so there are two reactions. If you don't speak in a gentle way, the other person, their spirit will break, or the second one is they will stir up anger. They'll become angry. And one of the things that I, I... um believe, and uh, sometimes I jokingly say to um, uh, some of our staff, I say, boy, you know, God gave me two beautiful daughters uh, because he knew that I needed daughters. And I grew up with two brothers, and sarcasm was our love language, right? And so uh, calling each other, yeah, stupid, and you this, and, you know, asking that rhetor- that worst rhetorical question, right, that you could ever be asked. If you've ever been asked this question, and don't ever ask anyone, like, what is wrong with you? Right? That's such a loaded question. And uh, we used to talk in that way and God gave me two daughters. And I, I, don't know how, I can't talk like that. I can't talk like that to my daughters. If I had sons, I probably would. And God in his wisdom said, no, you need daughters. Uh, they're going to help you. And so I'm so grateful uh, that God has given me daughters in this way. You know, I knew um, uh, two brothers. Uh, this is oh, 20 years ago or so. And I remember that uh, seeing them growing up, and they were bright, they were smart, uh, um, they had a wit and a humor. They would be able to just kind of, uh, maybe 10 years younger than me, and they would want to hang out with the older people, and they were fun. And uh, man, I, I cherished them a lot. But one of the hard things that they had to go through when they were in junior high was their father was abusive. He was physically abusive, and he was verbally abusive. And what happened was that lack of gentleness and the harsh words they kept hearing, it broke their spirit and also it stirred up anger. And so these guys who were straight A students and they were the smartest in the class, they started getting in fights. They get in fights for no reason. And their anger would now carry over into school. You can imagine if they're receiving that at home, when they get to school, the anger is there and they need to let this out to someone. And they would get in fights, they get suspended, and then they ended up getting kicked out of school and so on. And this happens often. And maybe you've seen this firsthand. And maybe this is the generation to break that cycle. And maybe it's been like that. And you don't know anything else. But it stirs up anger in another person. They'll they'll grow old and they'll grow angry or they'll break their spirits. And they no longer have drive for life or what they want to do. How important it is for us to speak in gentleness. And so the next time you have that sarcasm just coming out and you want to ask someone, what is wrong with you? Hold it in. Next time you have, those of you who have a loud voice, (laughs) hold it in. Tone it down gently. Whisper it if you have to. But don't whisper what's wrong with you, but just whisper in a gentle way and see how they are doing in this way. Um, It is so important for us to do this. And I just especially want to challenge all the dads, you know, I I share this with our dads often, especially those who become new dads. And I say, there's a lot of pressure on dads. For some reason, the words from dads tend to matter more. They tend to hurt more. And uh, most people that I know, if they have wounds from their parents, it's from their dad. My dad said this, my dad hit me, my dad didn't believe in me, my dad was not there for me. It's rarely from the mom, it's from the dads. So I always tell the dads, I tell the men, you have to be also very careful if God has given you children. The words you say will either break their spirit or will let them live. It will cause the next generation to have bitterness and harbor anger or they will live in joy. And your words carry that much weight, and so you have to be also very careful in how you speak to their mom, how you speak to them, how you speak about others, and they're listening. And so dads, I want to encourage you uh, that you have this extra burden to speak well, speak in a gentle voice. There's something different when mom yells at you, but when dad yells, It hits home. It goes deeper. And to speak in gentleness. So they would learn gentleness. And so that they would now invite that into their lives for their next generations. When your children decide, now I'm an adult and I'm going to get married. And they would say, well, this is what I accept. This is what I'm familiar with. This is what I'm accustomed to. Let it start here. Let it start in your gentleness. Lastly is to speak in an encouraging way. All human beings need encouragement. And you have the power to encourage someone. We often think it's a top-down. We think, boy, it's uh, my boss should say it, or my parents should say it. Um, we often think, boy, it's the older person should say it to me. But it doesn't matter. We could all say It, it doesn't matter what position someone is in, they all need some kind of encouragement. Uh, Proverbs 16.24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Uh, this is a, a beautiful verse. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. These are encouraging words, positive words. They're like a honeycomb. Honeycombs is interesting. Honey, even in, in our day today, it's good to the taste. It's had two purposes. It t- just tastes good, number one. And number two it was used for medicinal purpose. You have a you know, sore throat, strep throat, you have a cough, you're congested. Often, even nowadays, we say, Jay, put some honey in hot water, drink it, it's good for you, and that's how it was back then. And so, uh, in Proverbs here, it uses the same idea to say it affects us in two ways. Sweetness to the soul, health to the body. The encouraging words that we can hear hits us both ways, like a honey, like honey would do to our mouths and to our bodies, not just to our mouths, but its sweetness, not to our palate, but to our soul, it tells us. And there's an ice cream place, I haven't gone there lately, but I'm I'm gonna go back when everything opens up, and called um, Honey Me, right? Have you guys been there, Honey Me? Honey Me is so good. I think about it, honey is so good. You go put it on top of ice cream, it makes the ice cream taste better, right? And that's the description here of encouragement, gracious words. Gracious words are so sweet. You could put it on top of ice cream and it makes the ice cream taste better. And so your words make even good things better. You cannot say enough gracious words, positive words. It hits the soul of a person, hits the body of a person. Words like, good job, I trust in you. I want to thank you. You know, you're making a difference. You know, uh, my wife is very encouraging. Uh, One of the things I still remember she said to me uh, when we were, uh, I was serving at my last church and uh, we were in in conversation with them about planting Crossway. And this is in 2006. And I remember uh, talking to the senior pastor there and he says, yeah, if you want it, we'll support you. You know, just let me know and uh, we'll get that ready and i had to call my wife and this is at the point a lot of people there say, are you crazy why would you want to plant a church you know church churches closed more than restaurants it's one of the hardest things to do why would you want to do that and i was hearing a lot of reality and i remember talking to my wife and that's when our kids were little and she could have easily said you know we need the paycheck why would you do that You don't do but i still remember the words she told me and she said to me you were born to do this Like, if you don't do it, who's going to do this? I still remember those words. And I remember just feeling so confident, like, yeah, she believes in me, and um, telling the church, I'm ready to plant, right? And uh, they're wondering, where did all this uh, courage come from? Well, it came from the positive words that I heard. And we all need to hear it. That means someone has to say it. That means you have the power to say it in this way. There's a... a famed artist in the 1700s named Benjamin West. And Benjamin West was uh, impressive because he, he had uh, painted so much for the kings of England. King George III um, had commissioned him and launched the Royal Academy. He ends up becoming the president of the Royal Academy. He ends up being appointed as the historical painter of the court and the king's paintings and so on. Now, it's so impressive because first he was self-taught. He wasn't formally trained and he was the one and you think about it during the 1700s there was no photography and so one of the ways to record history in pictures was through painting and so with someone with paint and you know you go to the museum now you say why there's so many pictures of dead kings and you know uh so on it's that's the way to keep some history so that they could say oh that's what they look like that's who he was and we have in our, in our short american history we have you know Uh, paintings of George Washington and so on. And we look at that and uh, we say, well, that's what he might have looked like. And so he did something. But one of the things that he was, uh, he mentions, Benjamin West mentions is that uh, he says, as a young boy, he decided to draw his sister one day and he opened up all the bottles of ink and he succeeded in making a big mess. And when his mother got home and saw that, the words that she said to him was simply this. She says, what a beautiful picture. And she gave him a kiss. And he said, that kiss made me a painter. What a beautiful picture. And she gives him a kiss. And this little child at that point, his spirit is now encouraged to say, I can do this. And he goes to record history in the 18th century. Now all of us talk. All of us probably talk way too much. All of us say things we regret. All of us need to hear something positive. We have the power to do that. But why do we fail? Because our words proceed from our hearts. And we look to our Lord Jesus Christ. How is He described? Full of grace and truth. This is what the description here. This is the description of how Jesus talked. Full of wisdom and and truth. He tells you what is right. He tells you what is wrong. And yet he is filled with grace, encouragement. He accepts, he loves. And it is his words we go to in the mornings and we go and open it up. And boy, it changes the rest of our days. It changes how we feel. It empowers us to live. It changes the direction of people and history and nations. It was his words. And we so desperately want to speak like him in perfect wisdom. I close with these couple of verses, you know, in Matthew 15, 18, it says, uh, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, right? What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. It's what's inside of a heart that comes out. And so it's not so much to practice up here, but somehow we have to change our heart. And this is where the gospel comes in, where God gives us a new heart. Not external things to do, but he says, let me renovate your heart. Let me renew your heart and your mind so the words now reflect the things that you say. And I just quote this last verse, Ezekiel 11. The prophet says, and uh, this is what God says in this prophet. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. He'll remove it. And verse 20, that they may walk in my statutes, keep my rules, obey them. And they shall be my people, I'll be their God. How do we obey God? How do we now live in the way of wisdom? He gives us a new heart. This is where the gospel comes. Jesus Christ gives us a new heart. He works in us. And we are changing and we are growing. And even during this time that we are at home, we could say, God, continually work in me. Help me to encourage uh, my loved ones at home. Help me to be kind in the comments I write on social media. Help me to be changed and let that change come from the inside out. I pray for us, I hope, uh, that you will use this tool of words to encourage many people. You have the power before you. So choose your words wisely. Use them in a positive way and ask God to continue to change your heart so you could speak in this way. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and uh, we ask that you continue to uh, use us to speak your words, to speak wisdom, speak in gentleness. uh, God, to lift up others. God, and Uh, so would you help us we have the power to do so we are the tree of life god that we could save someone listening i pray for especially our moms and dads god would you use them to instill uh, love and joy and peace in the next generation may their words lord spring up life in these children so i lift them up to you god help us lord to be like you lord jesus christ you speak and you are full of grace and truth. Your words, Lord God, they, they change us. They move us. And so God, change your hearts so we can talk like that. So we can go and encourage others like you. We can share truth with grace. God, help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.